you're here, and to the visitors, I apologize in advance. You're here for Daniel 9, 20 to 27, probably the most difficult passage in all of the Bible. So uh, welcome to Bustleton Baptist Church. Anyway, good to see you, uh, Lisa, and, uh, and, the, and the girls there as well. Um, the 77s, I, I think I better pray because I need help this morning, and you'll need help to listen as we, uh, as we tackle this together. Let's go. Uh, Father, thanks for this time of uh, togetherness and worship and being uh, in a space where we can uh, sing together, pray together, and, and I hear your word, and I just I pray for an infilling of your spirit as I, as I bring your word and I pray that it would edify and build up and ultimately through it all and the difficulties that you would focus our hearts and minds on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And would you give to each one a real attention and focus to listen and to see the Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, uh, the 77s, if you were here last week and you're wondering why I've gone from the end of Daniel chapter 8 straight into Daniel 9, uh, verse 20, you will have noticed that I left out verses 1 to 19, which is Daniel's prayer. Uh, not an oversight. I haven't forgotten it. Uh, we will return to it. And that prayer in Daniel 9, 1 to 19, we will actually finish this series on Daniel sometime early next term. But today we do come to the notoriously difficult passage of Daniel 9, 20 to 27. It is rightly considered to be one of the most difficult passages to understand in all of the Bible, which is why many preachers, regardless of their end times theology, persuasion, and understanding, they usually prefer to miss this one and go on to something else. As I've read various views on this passage, I want to tell you it's been an absolute minefield. I was listening to Alistair Begg. He is a very profound, beautiful, conservative, evangelical theologian. He got up, he preached this passage, and at the end of it said to the congregation, I actually have no idea what it means. And he sat down. That is a pretty tough act to follow. However, we're going to give it a go. And uh, it is difficult, but... If we don't get bogged down in the nitty-gritties, if we pay attention to various contexts in which this passage is set, if we remember that the passage and all of the Old Testament is about Christ, and if we look at the words of Jesus to help us understand this passage, we might just get a little bit further than Alistair Begg and we might get some understanding. I mean, it does say in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, including Daniel chapter 9 as well. But let me give you a little bit of a taste. And Ian, I want you to make this big screen. I want you to give you a little bit of a taste just how difficult this passage can be. So you'll notice, and you've got your Bible, or look at it on the screen, we're told that there are 77s, or it could be 70 weeks in verse 24. And in this uh, sort of 70 weeks, there is the finishing of transgression, the end of sin, there is the atoning for wickedness, there is the everlasting righteousness. 
But that goes on to 62 sevens and seven sevens in verse 25. That's when the temple is rebuilt and there's an anointed ruler that comes. But after the 62 sevens, or the 62 weeks, verse 26, an anointed is cut off, destroy the city, the sanctuary is destroyed, there's wars, desolations that's been decreed to the end. Then there's a 1-7 in verse 27, which is a covenant is made. And then in the middle of the 1-7, there's the end of sacrifice and the abomination that causes desolation. Are you with me? I mean, that's clear as mud, isn't it? It's just beautiful. All right. So uh, you've got some questions that you need to ask as you look at this. Are the weeks literal or are they symbolic? Does all this happen before Jesus comes or after? Is the one week at the end of the seven, the end of the 62, or part of the 62? Which weeks go where, when, and how? Who is the anointed? What is the abomination? And are you confused yet? You confused? I'm so glad you are. That was what I wanted. And... uh, We're going to try and untangle it as we go. So here we go. Number one, we need to look at the context. We need to look at this two contexts. One is what we call the end of the exile. If you've got your Bible, have a look at chapter 9, verse 1, where we are told that in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a mead of I mean by descent, who was the ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. This is around the year 539 BC. This is the time of Cyrus. He had taken over from the Babylonian kingdom. Remember, in Daniel terms, this is the bear ram that has eaten the lion. So it's 539. It's near the end of the exile. The Jews are about to, come, to go home to Jerusalem. And if you've got your Bible, look at Daniel 9 verse 2. Daniel has been reading Jeremiah and Jeremiah 29. And Daniel knows that the exile is about to end. The Jews are about to go home. And so he turns his attention to prayer and fasting. And we'll have a look at that next term. So, if we're on the verge of the Jews going home, we can safely say that the 70 weeks, the 62 weeks, the seven week, the one week, and the middle of the week is not literal. It cannot be literal. If it is, if it, if it is 490 days, for example, whatever is going on in Daniel 9, 20 to 27 doesn't happen within 490 days. If the weeks or years were 490 years, that would take us from 439 to somewhere around about 100 BC, and absolutely nothing of significance happens at that time. 70 is not time, but completion. Now, remember the number seven, don't you? The seven is a biblical number for completion. So when it says 77s, what's it saying? It's talking about mega completion. It's talking about something that is going to be mega completed. So these 70 weeks, 62, 71, they are symbolic periods of time, which means we do not need to spend any useless time trying to figure out exactly what's what and how this fitting to that in terms of a literal time period. So let me give you a picture, which is going to come up on the screen. 
Just to give you my first picture, it's here's where we are. This is the first context. It's 539. It's under the time of the bear ram. If you've been following with, with Daniel in terms of his picture, the exile is nearly over under Persia, under Cyrus. And the 70 weeks takes us right to a time of completion. And so the 62, the 7, and the 1 are in there somewhere. Does that, uh, does that sort of context make sense? You with me? Okay, you need to focus. Hey? Don't switch off. Don't fall asleep. Otherwise, uh, you're going to be lost. Okay? That's context number one. Here goes context number two. I've called it the Daniel sandwich. The second context is absolutely critical because Daniel 9 is sandwiched between Daniel 8 and Daniel 10 and 11. Now, if you were here last week, you will remember in Daniel 8, I showed you that it, that it was all about life under Persia, but mostly under the, the Greeks for Israel. Do you remember that? Okay, life was mostly under Greece, but there was also the Persian aspect. Okay, now, so keep that context in mind. And if you have a look at 11 too, Daniel 10, 11, and 12 is actually one vision. We'll get, start getting to it next week. Listen to what it says. Then I tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia, then a fourth, who will be far richer than the others. When he's gained power by his wealth, he'll stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. So, let me give you a picture and put the context in there for you. Will you just sort of get me out of the way, please, Ian? And uh, leave that on there for just a moment. Take a look at this. Notice that Daniel 9, the 70 weeks, is sandwiched between Daniel 8, life under Persia, and life under Greece. And it's also between 10 and 11, life under Persia, life under Greece. So, Daniel 9 will be about the same thing. It would be contextually weird if Daniel 9 was about something else, if it's sandwiched between life under Greece and Persia on the one side and life under Persia, Greece on the other. Does that make sense? It's got to be talking about the same thing or the same period of time. You with me so far? We're just going to keep building these pictures. Now, let me give you one more interpretation key. When you come to a passage like Daniel 9, you've got to go from something that is light to something that is dark. You've got to go from something clear to something unclear. You've got to go from the light to the fog. Let me give you an illustration. Um, a little while ago, sadly, my beloved Triton Ute, caught, actually, oddly, do you know it's actually called the beast? Um, anyway, um, it, was in a, it was in a prang. Uh, prang means, sorry, South African slang for a crash. And anyway, sad news, but the, the good news is, after it was repaired, I got two brand new spotties. Do you, know, do you Aussies know what spotties are? All right? Spotties are those two things. Hey? Yeah, I know, I know. And I was kidding, I was kidding, I was kidding. All right. And you know what? So anyway, I got two brand new spotties. And in, anyway, the other day, I'm driving out along the old Queen Elizabeth Road one night, going to see someone on a farm, and it's dark, got my lights on, but it's dark, can't see anything. And I put on my spotties for the very first time. And you know what happened? Whoa, I could see everything. It was so awesome. 
I think I could see the whole of Boston. They were, that was absolutely beautiful. And I was so thankful that my beast went through a crash. Anyway, moving on. You've got to go from light. You've got to put the lights on, okay? You've got to sort of focus it so that we get the big sort of wide light and then we can, we can sort of see what's going on in the dark. Right, so here we go. Pull it all together for you. Here's the light. The light. The light is verse 24. 24. Got your Bible? Look at it. Verse 24 is the light. So you see it big. 70 weeks or 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. You see the light, don't you? Have you got it? Where does it take you? Right, listen to the language again. So look, let me just put it out of there for you. Here's the light. Finish transgression, end of sin, atone for wickedness, everlasting righteousness. What must that be talking about? Heaven? No. <laughs> what must it be talking about? The cross. It must be. There's only one place that could take us, and that is to the, to the cross. Now remember, Daniel had absolutely no idea how this prophecy was going to be worked out. But we do, because you remember the very words of Jesus on the cross, don't you? His final words is actually one Greek word called tetelestai, and it means it is, it is finished. You see, the cross is where Jesus finished paying for our sin in his body. It's there at the cross that he finished paying the punishment for our sin that was laid on him. It's there according to Romans 3 that Jesus was the propitiation or the atonement or the wrath removing or the wrath satisfying sacrifice where the Father instead of pouring his wrath out on us because of sin, he pours it out on his Son. It's there at the cross that he brings for us everlasting righteousness for those who believe. It's at the cross we become the righteousness of God. In theological terms, because of the cross, it is the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to us. It's given to us. Let me show it to you in this beautiful verse in Romans 3.22. This righteousness, this everlasting righteousness, is given through the faithfulness of Jesus to all who believe. Do you see it? The 70 weeks is the completion of the work of Christ to bring the end of judgment, the end of condemnation, the end of punishment for our sin, for God's people who believe. Let me bring this another way around. Every God-fearing Old Testament Jew knew that the animal sacrifices would end at some point. It was pretty obvious that the blood of bulls and goats could not deal with the sin of men and women. In other words, there had to come a final sacrifice at some point. That's what the prophets said would happen. The problem was that the prophets had no idea how that final sacrifice would come. We were actually told not even the angels at that time knew how this completion for sin would take place. I mean, not in their wildest expectation, 
Could the prophets, God's people, even the angels, even conceive that the final sacrifice would be God's eternal Son? That the Father would send the Son to become a man, to be that final sacrifice, an end for transgression and sin and iniquity. So, here's what the picture looks like. You see it? We're here at 539 in Daniel. It's the 70 weeks that ends at the cross. That 70 weeks is a mega completion where Christ finishes transgression. He ends sin. He atones for sin. He brings in everlasting righteousness. Now keep looking at the picture. Daniel's in 539. The exile is about to finish. But you see, when the Jews went home, Daniel and the Israelites thought that the exile would end. What God is showing Daniel and what God is showing us is that the exile does not end when you go back to Jerusalem. When does the exile end? When your, when your sins are forgiven. Israel is in exile because of their sin. When they went home after exile, Israel cannot atone for their own sin. So the exile hasn't ended. The exile ends when sin is finished. Which means this. In the grand scale of things, going back to Jerusalem is not the biggest thing. Going back to the land, not the biggest thing. Going back to rebuild the temple, not the biggest thing. It was all about finishing sin which would happen at the cross. Now keep looking at the picture. Where do we stand? We're here in 2022. So just in case you've nodded off, we're over here. Okay, 2022. And we're looking back at the cross. The message to Daniel and the message to us is exactly the same, isn't it? Our exile has not Finished unless what's happened? Christ has finished our sin. You see, the biggest thing that the Jews needed, the biggest thing that we need is a finishing of our sin at the cross. So to put it this way, you are still in exile today. You are separated from God unless your sin has been completed, finished, atoned for by Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? You remember the story in the, uh, story in the Gospels of uh, Mark chapter 2. You remember Jesus' teaching, Mark 2, 1 to 12. You remember that there were four men or four people or four friends that brought a paralyzed man to Jesus. Do you remember that? And you remember the crowds are so big, they couldn't get through, but they push their way through. They go up the side of the, of the house, they get onto the roof, they dig through, and they lower their paralyzed friend right down in front of Jesus. And as he's lowered down in front of Jesus, you remember those astonishing words in Mark 2.5, Mark 2.6, when Jesus said to the man, what? Son, your, your sins are forgiven. And just after that in Mark 2, Jesus said, I have not come to call the self-righteous. I've come to call sinners. This is the gospel. This is the good news. 
The good news is that at the end of the 70 weeks, God's Son, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ would come and finish sin at the cross. He'd pay for it. He'd atone for it. He'd propitiate for it. So that every man, woman, and child who believes can be completely forgiven and stand everlastingly righteous before a holy Father. And I want to ask you again this morning, has your exile before God Ended. Has your separation because of sin ended? Because you believe with your heart, your mind, and your soul that Christ finished paying for it. He was punished for it. He was condemned for it. He was judged for your sin at the cross. And our exile is over. And we are everlastingly righteous before the Father. Is that you this morning? Is that you? That's the light. Now we can go to the fog. Because we know that the 70 weeks ends, verse 24, whatever is happening in the 62, the 7, the 1, and the middle of the 1, Whatever's happening there, it happens before the cross, right? It leads up to the 70. And remember what we said, context, life under Greece, Persia, life under Greece, Persia. And so it's life under Greece, Persia in Daniel chapter 9. Now I'm going to give you a picture um, and, and hopefully this will all start to make sense. And just keep it on there for me, please, Ian. I'm not going to go into great detail because I don't think we need to. Notice that we're in 539. In verse 25 and 26, it talks about the rebuilding of the temple. You see that? If you've got your Bible open. And that actually happened under Persia. Now remember, we're two and a half thousand years down the line, so we can look back and see where some of these things happened. So as, as they went back to the land and they rebuilt the temple under Persia, that's verse 25, 26, There'll be times of trouble. I'll come to that. Then in verse 26 and 27, it talks about an anointed one who is cut off. Uh, there is a, the temple destroyed, the sacrifices ended, the abomination that causes desolation. That's verse 26 and 27. That happened under Greece somewhere around 167 BC. So when it's talking about the anointed cut off, that's actually talking about the high priest that was killed by a guy called Antichus Epiphanes, who is a Greek ruler. At that time, around 167, he killed off the, uh, the high priest. He destroyed the temple. Uh, uh, there was all sorts of idolatry. He put idols in the Holy of Holies. He even put a pig on the Jewish sacrifice in order to stop them from sacrificing. One of the greatest offenses you can do to the Jews. And that all happened around 167 B.C. But if you've got your Bible open and just have a look at 25, 26, notice and listen to the language of the whole passage. Verse 25, it says that the rebuilding will happen in times of trouble. There's words like destroy. There's words like desolations. There's words like wars. What's God saying to Daniel? 
See that top line, trials, troubles, and tribulations. God says to Daniel, Daniel, in a way that you don't understand, before the end of sin, before it's atoned for, before the Messiah comes and does what he does, there are going to be trials, troubles, and tribulations up until that point. As you go home and read the, the, rebuild the temple, there's going to be trouble. When, 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 the, when the, the Greeks take over from the Persians, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trials, troubles, and tribulations right up in time till the time that Messiah comes. Now let me just give you one example here. When the Jews went back to rebuild the temple, round about, uh, and which happened around 516 BC, listen to what Ezra 4 says. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and to frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, right down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So as we go back to that picture, life is going to be very, very difficult for the Jews as they go back to the land and they wait for Messiah. Now, what does that mean for us? It means exactly the same thing. If there were trials, troubles, and tribulations before Messiah came, what are they going to be while we wait for Messiah? Trials, troubles, and tribulations. You see, as the beasts come and go, as they rise and fall, they will bring about difficulty and trial, and trouble, and persecution for God's people. Different times, different ways, different intensities, as we spoke about last week. But life in 2022, before the return of Christ, is just going to be like life for Israel before Messiah came. And we know that's true, because that's exactly how Jesus reflected on Daniel chapter 9. In Matthew 24, he said, Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the, wicked, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Look at the picture again. What's life going to be like as we wait for Jesus? Difficulty? Trial? Tribulation? Wars? Rumors of war? Famine? Earthquake? Persecution? Sickness and violence. Isn't that what we're seeing? Isn't that the way it's always been? Don't you remember these words of Jesus, don't you? He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. 
trial, tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world, right? How? Because he's put an end to sin. He's put an end to the condemnation and judgment and condemnation of sin for those who believe. You with me? One more little aspect, and I'm just going to touch on it, and you can have a chew on it if you want to afterwards and chat about it. If you've got your Bible open, well, actually, have a look at Matthew 24, verse 15, where Jesus actually quotes Daniel 9. He says, When you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Now, the abomination actually comes three times during the book of, of Daniel. But just a little picture. I'm not going to talk much about it. Ian, will you just sort of out of the way there? The abomination that causes desolation is probably the time when the temple, the Jewish temple, was destroyed once and for all in AD 70. I will leave you with that. Just look at it for a moment. Get the picture in your head before I bring you to some application. Does that make sense? That picture makes sense to you? I hope so. If it doesn't, then come and chat to me. Let me give you some, uh, let me give you some applications. When you come to a passage like Daniel 9, 20 to 27, it's very easy to get lost in the detail. It's very easy to miss the trees from the wood. It's very easy to miss the light from the fog. It's very easy to miss the person of the prophecy. You see, because if you spend all your time trying to figure out some sort of literal understanding of 70, 62, 7, 1, and middle of the 1, what you will end up doing is you will miss the person of the prophecy. And that's exactly what Jesus said to the Jewish Pharisees and leaders. He says, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. But these are the Scriptures that talk about me. You see, the Pharisees were so into prophecy themselves, were so into studying the Scriptures and all that sort of stuff, but they completely missed Christ. They completely missed the one who would atone for sin, put an end to transgression, would, would, would make propitiation for iniquity and wickedness and rebellion. Because it's about Christ. And he said the same thing to them in Matthew 16. He said, he said to them, you know, when, when evening comes, you say, it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning today will be stormy because the sky is red and overcast. You know how to in interpret the appearance of the sky, but you can't interpret the signs of the times. You see, the Jewish leaders and Pharisees, and even many Christians today, are so wrapped up in the prophecy, and they miss the person. They miss the one who would come to finish sin at the cross. So let's finish where we started. Remember the light. Seventy weeks are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression. 
to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. You see, because unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins. What's next? Once for all. When he offered himself. Because he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. You could write there everlasting righteousness. You see, because those, 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 those sacrifices of bulls and goats and sheep and whatever, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And by that will, we have been made holy, righteous, through the sacrifice of the body of Christ. What's next? Once? Four? It's, it's done. It's finished. It's ended. It's mega completed. In Jesus Christ, who paid for every sin, past, present, and future, you will have, will ever commit. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that the kingdom of God is so much bigger than Israel. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than us individually. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than being a Baptist. Bless their hearts, Presbyterians out there somewhere. Bigger than being Anglican or Pentecostal or Charismatic or Church of Christ, whatever. The kingdom of God is about a people who are redeemed and forgiven and reconciled by the one who was cut off at the cross to end all sin. The kingdom of God is about this redeemed, forgiven people who have had all their sin, all their iniquity, all their wickedness, all their rebellion, all their idolatry, all their transgression done. That's our big picture. That's our big story. And I want to say this to us this morning. Please, Basildon Baptist Community Church, do not let anything, anything get in the way of this. Do not let anything get in the way of us being part of this kingdom that God is building of a forgiven people. Which means that we must not get caught up in the, in the useless arguments about obscure details in the prophecies. We must not get wrapped up in the minor keys of the Christian faith. We've got to be 
like those four friends, those four men, those four people, whoever they were that brought that man who was paralyzed to Jesus, we're going to be like that, right? That we will do absolutely anything to bring men, women, and children to Jesus so that he can end their sin once and for all and forever so that they can be everlastingly righteousness, everlastingly righteous now and forever. I want to ask you one more time. Has Christ ended your sin? Has he completed the punishment? Completed the judgment? Completed the condemnation? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As I asked the music to come up, music team to come up, these are the days, aren't they? They are the days of Elijah. These are the days of Moses.